I'm going to dismiss our children, by the way, uh, downstairs. So if uh, we're waiting for that announcement, there it is. I want to ask you a question right away this morning. Are you facing adversity today? Are you facing adversity? Maybe it's adversity that comes from being a follower of Jesus. You know his commands, you understand his mission. And now you're receiving adversity, opposition, obstacles in your life that are directly related to that. Or maybe it's just simply because you're a human. You live in a fallen world. You're dealing with life. And it's hard. Are you facing adversity today? Well, if you're in that place today, I want you to know that the passage we're going to look at today is going to speak directly to you. Paul, the apostle, the writer of Philippians, is in the middle of adversity. He's in prison. And the Philippian Christians know this. They've heard that Paul is in jail. And they've been in partnership with Paul since the first day until now. You remember that from last week. They've been praying for him. They've loved him. They've supported him financially. They're in partnership with Paul from the first day until now. And so they may have some anxiety, actually, about this. What's going on in Rome? And so we see here in this section, verse 12 through 30, that Paul is giving the Philippian church a missionary update. We get these as well, right? We support churches around the globe, all the way to Scotland and Poland and down in, uh, in, in uh, Harlem and even just across town in Baldensville. And periodically, we'll get emails or text messages or uh, some sort of post, something that communicates to us, their partner and supporter, what's going on, what God is doing in their midst. And so this next section, this week and next, is Paul's missionary update. And in this missionary update, he's addressing his adversity. He's addressing his imprisonment. He's hoping as well to alleviate some fears. And the wonderful news is, is he's going to provide for them an update on his adversity. He's going to show the Philippians, and I believe he's going to show us, that there is purpose and there's hope in all the adversity that we face. I want you to hear that this morning right now. If you're in the middle of adversity... For whatever reason and to what degree, there is purpose and there is meaning in it all. And we're going to see how. What purpose and meaning do we have as we face adversity in this life? Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Grab your Bibles, please. Open it up. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Follow along on the screen. Uh, or on your app, the point is, turn your attention to the Word of God. Hear what Paul says. 
He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. This is God's Word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of Your Holy Word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs this morning, may hear and understand Your Holy Word with all diligence and faith, so that we might rightly discern Your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness, all to the praise and glory of King Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Be helpful to understand the background of what's going on in Paul's life. And actually, I would encourage you in your time this week, in devotions or whatever, maybe there's a moment where the kids are quiet and you can just read. Thoughts? Maybe you get some time to read Acts chapter 21 through 28. That's a helpful backdrop to what Paul's dealing with. So go back and read Acts chapter 21 through 28. You get the context for his imprisonment in Rome. You see, the Jews in Jerusalem were frustrated as all get out. They were offended, and they wanted to put Paul's teaching and his ministry to an end. Matter of fact, they wanted to kill Paul. <laughs> so there was a lot of animosity. Matter of fact, uh, they, they went after Paul. And Paul was arrested. He was put on trial there in Jerusalem. He was moved to Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea, and then eventually, because he appealed to Caesar as a, as a Roman citizen, Paul was brought all the way to Rome. Okay, so the reason Paul's in prison in Rome is because a lot of people didn't like him, and a lot of people wanted him dead. Maybe another way to look at it is, they wanted to put Paul's ministry to an end. Stop preaching Jesus. Stop teaching these things. They wanted to stop Paul. That's why he's in prison. But Paul in his missionary report says something shocking. What does he say? He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually, or the one I read, has really Serve to advance the gospel. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, what, they meant to stop me. They meant to stop the preaching of the gospel. But actually, 
But really, this is what happened. All this opposition served to advance the gospel. That actually, that, that really provides a sense of irony that brings a twist to the story. What was meant to stop the gospel actually served the advancement of the gospel. That's the kind of irony that we see Paul reporting on. Matter of fact, it reminds me a little bit of the kind of irony we would often see throughout the whole story of Scripture. Right? You think of Joseph all the way back to the opening book of the Scriptures, the book of the Bible, where after being sold out by his brothers, sold into slavery, uh, goes all the way to Egypt. Uh, yeah, goes all the way to Egypt. He finds himself in a position of power, interestingly enough. And his brothers come after famine in all of his uh, in, in, in Israel, and co- they come, and what, what happens? They stand before him. And Joseph just kind of internalizing and processing all the events of his life, concludes by saying this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph sees God sovereignly at work in the midst of all his suffering and adversity. God's sovereign. He's at work. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Skipping forward all the way to the book of Acts, after a lot of persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, the believers get together and they pray for boldness. Do you remember that? And who do they pray to? Sovereign Lord in Acts chapter 4. Aware of all that's going on, all the opposition, all the adversity, they go and they pray to who? Their sovereign Lord. And they pray for boldness. And they refer to the, all the events that took place in Jesus' life. And what do they say? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Even in all the suffering, in the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, they could say, yeah, they meant to harm him. They meant to put an end to him. They meant to crucify him. But actually, sovereign Lord, all of these things took place according to your sovereign plan. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, God is using your adversity for the advancement of the gospel. That's the main idea of the morning. Hear it. Let it set in. Don't miss it. God is sovereign over all of human affairs, over every detail of your life, over all the good and even the bad. And he's in it, not despite it. He's actually working in it and through it. God is using your adversity for the advancement of the gospel. Do you know that? Do you know that? 
There is meaning. There is purpose. And there is hope in everything that you're dealing with today. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 8, a favorite verse, a famous verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. God is sovereign. Everything in our life, every aspect of it, every detail, every situation, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all being used by God to bring about His good purposes in your life. Do not despair nor despise that which you face. The difficulty for being a Christian, the difficulty for just being human. God is using it. There's meaning. There's value because He is sovereign over all. Isn't that good news today to hear? God's using our adversity to advance His gospel in the world. You say, well, how? Well, okay, well, I'll tell you what Paul says about his life. He says in two ways. One, in the lives of unbelievers. Two, in the lives of believers. What he's saying is, is that God is using adversity in, the, in Paul's life to influence and impact unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus nor trust in Him, but at the very same time, believers, those who do know Jesus and trust in Him. Paul's adversity is serving the advancement of the gospel in those two ways. Here's the first one, in the lives of unbelievers. He says, verse 13, As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. If he wasn't in chains, would they know why he's in chains? Would they know what he lives for? Would they hear about Christ Jesus? You see, Paul even behind bars, is able to see the beauty of the opportunities that God had given him. One might grow discouraged, right? Man, I don't have access to the masses. I can't get to the synagogue. I can't meet with God's people. I can't be in the public square. I can't stand on the box and proclaim to the world about Jesus. Man, I can't do anything right now. I'm locked down. I'm limited. could have easily gotten discouraged. But Paul sees how the Lord is orchestrating certain things and how his imprisonment and his transfer from Jerusalem to Caesarea and now to Rome has led to him being able to share with the power players and the key influencers the palace guard in Rome. He's able to see what God's doing as it's advancing from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Paul is able to see that even behind bars, with a small, limited audience. He's not discouraged. Right? Wherever Paul is, whoever he's interacting with, even in a prison cell, they're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear Paul's story. They're going to find out why he is there. It's not from any crime he's committed, but from a conviction that he holds. And it doesn't matter who's there. Paul has opportunity, amen? I wonder if we can learn from that. I wonder if we can learn from the small, 
seemingly inconsequential conversations and interactions that we have every single day with people. In the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our limitations, that here's where God has us to advance the gospel. I love what Paul is teaching us here. You can treat each moment, big or small, each conversation with a sense of great gospel purpose. God is at work in this situation, in the midst of this adversity, in the midst of this limitation to advance his gospel in and through my life. Do you believe that today? It's providing opportunity for unbelievers to hear about Christ. Secondly, it is an encouragement to believers. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here's another surprise, right? You see someone share Christ and get death threats. You see someone share Christ and go to jail. You're like, I'm out. I like my life. It's comfortable. It's easy. Right? That's the logic. The logic is something like this would deter people, that they would grow hesitant and fearful. But what Paul is telling us is the opposite effect occurs. Paul's unwillingness to stop preaching Jesus, no matter what danger or inconvenience or adversity came his way, became a huge inspiration for the Christians in Rome. Has that ever happened to you? Boldness for Christ is contagious, isn't it? It's contagious. When we see it, in someone else's life, we can't help but be influenced by it. We can't help be moved. When we see someone act so selflessly, sacrificially for a meaningful cause, to lay it all down, to die on that hill, we don't shy away, at least when we share the same value and love the same Jesus, we are all the more emboldened and encouraged to stand up and do the same. We'll lay it down, whatever it costs, for the sake of Christ. The Spirit uses courage of one to inspire the courage of another. The Spirit uses the obedience of one to inspire the obedience of another. The Spirit uses the repentance of one to inspire the repentance of of another, The Spirit uses the evangelism of one to inspire the evangelism of another. The Spirit uses love in someone else's life to inspire love in us. Doesn't the Spirit do that? That's what the Spirit does. In more recent church history, it's hard to not think of the ministry of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. These two went to Ecuador in 1956 with uh, four other missionaries. They were compelled to share the gospel 
with unreached people in that nation. They found themselves interacting with the Horiani natives there in Ecuador. Flew a plane in, had some positive interactions, and all of a sudden, some of the natives got skeptical. They showed up, unbeknownst to Jim Elliott and the other missionaries, they showed up to a place called Palm Beach. And they killed them. Jim Elliott and those other missionaries died in Ecuador. And the news came back to the U.S. And you think everybody would have said, what a waste! What a lost cause. And yet history tells us that their adversity that led to death led to the evangelization of that tribe in ways that no one ever could have imagined. That their adversity that led to death led to conversion. And those relationships were restored and repaired And that mission was carried out through the lives of other courageous missionaries. And to think, who could count the number of missionaries that signed up to bring the gospel to unreached people groups throughout the world because of Jim Elliott and those other missionaries and their courage. Boldness is contagious in the lives of Christ's people. John Piper reflecting on this whole ordeal, says this. In other words, there is one, only one explanation for why these five young men died and left a legacy that inspired thousands. God intervened. Pause. Friends, there it is. The sovereignty of God that is intervening in the midst of adversity, even adversity that leads to death, to use it to bring the gospel to those who don't know Jesus and strengthen those who do. God intervened. God is sovereign. He's using it. There's meaning. There's hope. In the darkest moments of our pain, God is hiding his weapons behind enemy lines. That is a powerful statement, friend. Do you believe that's true today? In the darkest moments of our pain, God is hiding his weapons behind enemy lines, which also means that no one, absolutely no one, can frustrate the designs of God to fulfill his missionary plans for the nations. Isn't that wonderful news today? God has declared the end from the beginning and everything in between, Isaiah 46. He's sovereign. He's using your adversity. He's bringing about his good gospel purposes in your life. That's what Paul is saying. Not just Paul, though, not just Jim Elliott, but you. So see your adversity as instrumental to the mission, not an obstacle in the way of the mission. See your adversity as instrumental, not an obstacle 
to gospel advancement. And please, look to your brothers in church history. Look to your brothers and sisters around you. Their encouragement, their faithfulness, their obedience, their resolve for you to proclaim the word without fear, for you to have confidence in the Lord. Resist fear. Find encouragement in the adversity of others. Grab some biographies. Read some church history. It will shed gospel perspective on all the difficulties in your life that you face, wherever they come from and whatever degree they are. Your life will be a testimony to others of Christ. Your life will provide encouragement to other Christians as well. May we not despair as we face adversity, friend. No. Let us rest in God's sovereignty over them. Amen? Amen. So there's a lot of emboldened Christians, Paul says. The gospel is advancing. A lot of people are fearlessly proclaiming the word because of it. But he does admit, and goes on to talk about the fact that not all fearless preachers have pure motives. Look at verse 15-17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Some preach Christ with selfish ambition as their motive. Right? Key words, envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, insincerity. These people are orthodox in their message, but they are not orthodox in their motive. They seek to take advantage of Paul's imprisonment for their own gains. They're stepping on Paul's back, using him to gain some kind of influence, maybe. Maybe even financial gain. We don't know all the details surrounding what's taking place. All we know is that Paul is well aware of the fact that there are preachers of Jesus preaching the gospel, bringing the heat, that do not have the right motive. Sadly, this is true in our day, right? We are all too well aware of that. Many of us, in fact, have been victims of that. We understand this. It's sad. It stinks. It's not okay. Right? Motives do matter. In no way, shape, or form is Paul saying that motives don't matter here. He's just saying, hey, we understand Christ is being preached. Some of these people are preaching with impure motives. Some people are seeking to use the preaching of Jesus for their own personal gain. 
But he goes on to say that others are preaching out of goodwill. He's saying that those people are preaching Jesus out of love, knowing that he has been put there for the defense of the gospel. They have a pure motivation. They're doing this because of the love that's in them. The love that they have for God. The love that they have for Jesus. The love that they have for the gospel message. The love that they have for the ministry of the word in the lives of people who do not know Christ. And of course, for the love of others. They love people. They're willing to lay everything down because they love people. And Paul, I think, here is saying they love me. They know the situation I'm in. They know I'm in prison. And they're preaching Jesus because they love me. They care about me. They know what I'm dealing with. And they're continuing to do what I was doing for the same reasons, Love for God. Love for the gospel. They love me, so they're preaching. Friends, let's admit there are some selfish preachers and selfish Christians who are using religion and the preaching of the word for their own selfish gain. Those people exist. It's not okay. But let us not forget that the Spirit of God has empowered and enabled and is inspiring leaders and Christians and preachers who do this because they love Him. So appreciated the article from Todd Pruitt this week. The title of the article was, You Probably Have a Good Pastor. It seems a little weird for me to bring this up. Just saying. I don't mean to shine the light on myself at all, but I do mean to shine the light on my job and the role in which I fulfill. And I do so to shine the light on people that I know and brothers that I serve alongside. And I do so to encourage you. There are pastors and preachers who love Jesus, who love the gospel, who love you, and are laboring to see the gospel advance in your life. Who are laboring to see the people of the world who do not know Christ have a saving knowledge of Jesus. Those pastors exist. You may watch the news. You may read the articles. Nobody's putting the good guys on Twitter. But I'm saying, there are good pastors preachers that love Jesus, that love you. We do not need to give up on the church nor the pastoral office in our frustrations with people who are morons. Amen? And I want to just be humble and honest with you. I fight motives like this. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself. I'm no perfect pastor. I wrestle with selfish motives in everything that I do. Matter of fact, it's it's something I 
get really frustrated with myself about. I ask all the time, why does this matter? Why am I doing this? What do we do? And I'm always like, well, well, surely it's because of this, that, or whatever. Always wrestling with selfishness, pride, anger, all these things. Sometimes it caused me to say, well, should I even be doing this? But you know, the Spirit of God has a way through the voice of others, also His Word, to remind me of how I ever got into this, to remind me what matters to me most, to remind me what motives always trump the bad ones. And I can stand before you with sincerity and say, man, I love myself a lot. That's not okay. But I love God more. I love Jesus more than myself. I love the Scriptures more than my own ideas. And man, the Spirit of God is still purifying me and working these things out in my life. Please pray for that. The devil knows how to get me. The devil knows how to get you. We're in a battle with the Gospel and the right motives. But man, there are good pastors out there. There are people that labor. Faithful, faithful men. Imperfect, but faithful. And Paul concludes, because of that, I can rejoice. He says in verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. In the midst of a jail cell, with morons preaching Jesus, he could say, you know what? I can rejoice in that. I can rejoice in that. Matter of fact, as I think about it, my adversity, it's not even about me. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to press the point any further about these, these selfish guys preaching the Word. I don't need to preserve my position. I don't need to preserve my reputation. I can just rot here in this prison. You know why? Because it ain't even about me. It's about Jesus. And the God is at work in the midst of all this. And Jesus continues to be preached. So because of that, regardless of my state, I can be full of joy. Because Jesus is being preached. That's what matters most to Paul. What does it matter? Jesus is being preached. I'll go through anything. Because Jesus is being preached. I'll face any adversity, big or small, to this degree or that degree, from this source or that source. You know, Jesus is being preached. The gospel is being advanced. God is at work sovereignly by His Spirit through the church in every single circumstance to bring Christ to bear in a world that needs to hear Him. It don't matter. See, our focus gets so on us and what we're going through, and the pain that we're in. It's understandable. Jesus sympathizes with you. Don't mishear me. But understand, we can take joy in the midst of it because it ain't even about us. Turn your attention to Christ. Value Christ. See that He matters more than your comfort. It's all about Jesus. It ain't even about you. Paul knows this. 
His life is about Jesus. Whatever he's got to go through, whatever he's going to deal with, no matter if he's got access to the crowds or not, whether he's in jail or dead, as long as Christ is preached, I'm a happy man. Is that you? As long as the focus is on Jesus, in your circumstance, you can deal with it. As long as God is being glorified, as long as unbelievers in your life hear that it's about Jesus, as long as other Christians are encouraged, you'll deal with anything. Cancer, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, some physical ailment, sickness, whatever it is, I'll deal with it. Rejection from the world, no likes on Twitter. I'll deal with anything as long as Jesus is being preached. Because that's what matters to me more than anything. This is what he values more than anything else. Is that you today? Paul gives them an update about the mission. Imagine how they felt to hear this. I'm sure they took a look at their own adversity and said, oh, okay, God's at work in our life too. Maybe they said, hey, Paul's bold. We can be bold. We can share the word of God here in Philippi in this Greek city without fear. We'll be willing to deal with anything in Philippi as long as Jesus is preached. Is that the impact this update has had on us? We come to know that God uses our adversity to advance His gospel in this world. May the Spirit open your eyes to see adversity from a different perspective. May the Spirit give you boldness to proclaim the Word without fear. May the Spirit use you in the lives of others to encourage and embolden. May the Spirit help you to see that there is no joy like the kind of joy that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? If you came today weary and tired and discouraged, you're feeling the pressing nature of difficulty. Just know God's in it. He's using it. For those who love God, God works all things for your good. Amen? Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, You know what we're going through. You see our state. You love us and you care for us. And yet, you are using every circumstance for your glory and for the advancement of your gospel in this world. Give us eyes that see that. Encourage us. Give us boldness. And help us to treasure Jesus more than anything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.